Good morning, everybody. This is a little weird, hey, with the straight lines. Who liked it when they came in? Oh, a couple of you. Who, uh, who likes the circle? We're 50-50. Okay, well, well, well. No promises. We'll probably go back to a, a circle. And uh, Galatians 4, this is kind of Paul talking to the church in, in, uh, in Galatia, and he says, Now I say, as long as the heir is a child, he does not differ from a slave. Although he is an owner of everything, but he's under guardians and managed until the date set by the father. So we too, when we were children, were held in bondage under the elementary principle of the world. And here's the, the part that stuck with me. But when the fullness of time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons and daughters. Because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, therefore we are no longer a slave, but a son, and have a son, then an heir through God. And there's a lot of really great, profound theology in that. And uh, I, I'm not paying attention to any of that, except the idea of fullness of time. And this lesson that uh, uh, Dr. Strawn said gave was about the idea of kind of um, the fullness of God's order, or the thing that he had kind of set uh, the beginning of time had kind of come to its completion when Jesus came. And he was leading it into this conversation around kind of uh, historically, he's giving kind of an apologetic for Jesus and how Jesus came at the just the exact right time in history. That if he come, you know, 10 years earlier or 10 years later, it wouldn't have worked right. It wouldn't have worked out, you know, the... Augustus was on the throne, and he kind of instituted Pax Romana, so there's peace across the empire, and there's this Roman road system uh, that connected all, like the whole disparate empire, basically the known world, and so letters could travel freely, and people could travel relatively freely, and there's just this perfect time for Jesus to be born. And so Paul ex extends this into like the theology and, and whatnot. But what stuck with me is this kind of sense of completeness, like shalom, wholeness, that in the fullness of time, in the right time, Jesus came. And so what I want to do is actually steal from myself uh, my Christmas Eve homily uh, that I wanted to share on Christmas Eve, but we all got storm stayed. And uh, when Jen and I had to make the call, we realized that uh, there wouldn't even be like an in-house thing here, and so we really had no recourse. But I had already made a little video, um, like a five-minute homily, that I was intending to share because I kind of knew I wasn't going to be able to make it. But if you folks could still come locally, that's great. I'd have something to share. And that didn't even happen. And I was like, no, no, this idea is just, it's too... It's too rich, and it's actually one of those things that's like it actually makes infinitely more sense to me now um, than it did even a couple weeks ago. And it's, uh, and it actually kind of fits the, the Christmas story chronologically, historically, a little better anyway. Um, it's actually the story of the Magi, and that's, that was what we were going to talk about. We had, Jen and I had this whole idea of magi and questing and seeking and um, it was going to be great and it didn't work out and that's okay. But I just want to go, I just want to, to 
to go there, if you don't mind indulging me. And it comes from Matthew, and, uh, which is quite ironic that this story comes from Matthew, because Matthew was a pretty devout Jew. And it comes from Matthew chapter 2. And I just, like Mark in a different way, like every part of Scripture, as you come to the narrative of the Scripture, it's so, so, so important to just really marinate in every word and idea and not take anything for granted because there's these little clauses, these little words that make enormous difference to the sequence of events. And if you rush through them, you're going to miss them. And when you miss them, you'll miss the profundity of the gospel of Jesus. So, Matthew chapter 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem village, Judah territory. This was during Herod's kingship. A band of scholars arrived in Jerusalem from the east. They asked around, where can we find and pay homage to the newborn king of the Jews? We observed a star in the eastern sky that signaled his birth. We're on a pilgrimage to worship him. When the word of their inquiry got to Herod, he was terrified. And not Herod alone, but most of Jerusalem as well. Herod lost no time. He gathered all the high priests and religious scholars in the city together and asked, Where's the Messiah supposed to be born? They told him, Bethlehem, Judah territory. The prophet Micah wrote it plainly. It's you, Bethlehem, and Judah's land no longer bringing up the rear. From you will come the leader who will shepherd rule my people, my Israel. Herod then arranged a secret meeting with the scholars from the east, pretending to be as devout as they were. And he got them to tell exactly when the birth announcement star appeared. Then he told them the prophecy about Bethlehem and said, Go find this child. Leave no stone unturned. As soon as you find him, send word and I'll join you at once in your worship. Instructed by the king, they set off. When the star appeared again, the same star they'd seen in the eastern skies, it led them on until it hovered over the place of the child. They could hardly contain themselves. They were in the right place. They had arrived at the right time. They entered the house and saw the child in the arms of Mary, his mother. Overcome, they kneeled and worshipped him. Then they opened their luggage and presented gifts, gold, frankincense, myrrh. In a dream, they were warned not to report back to Herod, so they worked out another route, left the territory without being seen, and returned to their own country. This story is infamous in the Christmas narrative of the we three kings and the camels and the gifts of gold and myrrh and frankincense and, and often like the magi or the, the, the nativity scene and it's kind of on our cards and in our songs and everything else. But this, this story, now maybe you know this already. I'm going to assume that you don't, so just indulge me. But the word that Matthew uses is, is magi. And that word is not really a, a Jewish word. And so scholars have debated, like, who, who are these people? Where did they come from? What was their etymology? What was their, their, their background? And there's some argument to be made that perhaps they actually were Jewish scholars who lived in, in kind of the diaspora of, of Israel 
in some far distant land, and that's, that's very plausible, and you can make a case for that. But I think when you kind of juxtapose Matthew's very, very Jewishness with this narrative and this use of the word magi, it's actually very likely these guys were Persian astrologers. They're Zoroastrians. They're not Yahweh-following Jew, Jewish, God-loving people. That they live in Persia, in a distant land. And there's a really, really great case to be made. And a lot of scholars and you know, astrophysicists have actually done this work. And you can find this and you can debate all day long as to what they were seeing in terms of the heavenly bodies. But one scholar put it really, really well. He said there's a shared language, the astrological symbols in the sky. There's a shared common language and symbology across time and space, across culture. Now, in the Western world, especially in the you know, fundamentalist Christianity view, I grew up with the idea that astrology is like satanic, it's, it's evil, it's horrible, and I'm not saying go read your tarot, scarred, whatever. Not at all. But these astrological symbols have been around forever. Orion and Leo and Libra and all these paintings in the sky that every culture has shared independent of one another. You can go into Eastern mythology and Western mythology and Greek mythology and you'll find the same symbols used by people who had never made contact with each other. And so these astrologers, Persian astrologers, have been watching the sky, and they see these symbols playing out year after year, decade after decade. And they would read the story in the sky to help make sense of their own world. And so the way these astrological symbols presented themselves it told them a story, and it wasn't a night that they saw a star. It was probably decades. They were seeing this story unfold, and, the, and the, as, as the kind of the night sky kept telling them more, they started to piece together that the symbol of the Jewish people was intersecting with a new birth of a king. And they read this story in the sky. Years before. And it, it, they felt compelled to travel from their homeland to come and see a king that was not theirs. And they felt so compelled to do that that it probably took them months to do. It was dangerous. It was, it was a perilous journey. And they're moving across the land to come and find this newborn king. And where do they go? Naturally, they go to the Jewish capital. And naturally, they go to the, to the people who should know this story and who don't. Not only is Herod terrified, he has to call together all the religious people that should be aware. And they have to go into the annals of their scrolls and their religious scholarly places to dust off all the scrolls and do some digging and research to find out 
Where is the Messiah supposed to be born? This is not on their radar at all. And these magi, these Persian astrologers, come to Jesus just at the right time. And what strikes me about this story so much is that somehow, this symbology, this narrative, these astrological signs, these astrological stories that brought Persians to Jesus on their own, no witness, no understanding. They're not waiting for the Messiah like the Jews would be. On their own, they arrive. Like, if you can just get your head around how nonsensical that is, it makes no sense. Why on earth would those guys ever be there? God is using And God used their language, their symbols, their story in their time to reveal himself to them. And if you moved, like our solar system, not not applying, but if you moved across our galaxy, these symbols wouldn't make any sense to us. These heavenly celestial bodies are just giant balls of gas. Thousands of light years separated by each other. And if they were to, like, if you take a piece of Leo in the sky, the lion, and you were one of those stars and you looked across, you wouldn't make sense that you're a lion. It only makes sense to us at our vantage point right here, right now. And the way these... these Symbols collided only made sense then, right there, in that time. And I find that so mind-bogglingly compelling. These people had no business being a part of the birth of Jesus. And yet, they showed up at the exact time. And I'm struck because this past, um, I thought this was a really great story to share at Christmas Eve a couple weeks ago. Because I had an experience about a, about a month ago uh, that was very life-changing for me. Um, and I don't, I don't quite know how, how to share it, but all to say this fall I've been I've been in therapy, and I've been lots of self-discovery, some really difficult um, things that I've kind of come to terms with in terms of my childhood and my, my formative years and my adult years. And it, it basically led me to the point of uh, having an experience of shalom, of wholeness. And it culminated with uh, a moment um, that I'll cherish forever, where I, one afternoon, just literally about a month ago, I, I was, I took our son, Judah, pulled him out of school, and he wanted a daddy date. He just needed a break from school. 
They've been asking every day, and he wanted. I was like, no, you can't. You're gonna get Christmas break. We just had this, you know. But like, okay, an afternoon. That's great. We got, I'll take you for for McDonald's, and we're gonna go do a little bit of Christmas shopping for your sisters, and we'll go wash our dog because he smelled. <laughs> and Christmas was coming, and he's a big Bernie's Mountain Dog, and he's double coated, and he needs. He's, he needs to be washed so people will want to pet him. And so we went. And we got McDonald's. And we did a little Christmas shopping. And then we went to wash our dog. And in this afternoon, where I was experiencing wholeness in a way that I had never experienced in my life to date, I ended, I, I, I was like washing my dog and that was usually Faith's job. And I held him and I looked at him and I, and something changed in me and I said, oh, now I understand why Faith loves you so much. Backstory is We've had this dog for 10 and a half years. We had him when Eden was just nine months old. He'd been around our whole, all of our child rearing days and all of our life at the church and all this time. And I, I, I always wanted a dog as a boy. But I just there's something about me and my lack of integration and my lack of shalom wholeness that kept me from really embracing this dog wholly, fully. And that afternoon when I held him, I was finally able to do that. And I just, my heart, the doors in my heart just burst open. And I was like a little boy, finally able to love my dog fully with my son in tow. Well, just a couple of days ago, we had to put him down. And he got really, really sick after Christmas. And he declined really quickly. And it's the, the, the loss is greater than I ever probably would have imagined. And it's really, really torn us up. But I, I'm convinced that dog waited for me to come to wholeness. He's a, he was a Bernie's mountain dog. He was supposed to live to like seven to nine. And he was almost 11. And I'm convinced that dog waited for me. And when I finally was able to love him wholly, he was able to let go. And I put these, these stories together and I think... There's something about the mystery and the profundity of God's timing that makes no sense to my linear brain. I would have never imagined two weeks ago that I would be reflecting in this way now. And what I see through my dog and what I see through my experience is this sense of overwhelming grace, the grace of God and the wholeness of God 
that really just transcends understanding. And how God uses our stories, our symbols, our language to show himself to us so we can find wholeness. And I find that incredibly comforting in a really terrible time. And so I, I have great confidence more than I probably ever have that, that our linear minds don't understand and we get, we get trapped in kind of a linear, a linear path, cause and effect and everything else. And, but there's something else to life that really just, we just can't really grasp. I think we get windows of it here and there because we can't, we can't live there. We're human beings. But I find a great rest in, in the mystery of God's fullness that um, shalom, wholeness, and that God is offering that to us. And so today, I was, I, I, there's a lot more than you than I thought there'd be today. So I hope there's enough communion supplies here. I think there is. We may have to have a miracle of loaves and fishes today. Um, I think we'll be okay. But we're going to take a moment. Um, I don't know, maybe Brian, you can come and pick away at something if that's okay. To just uh, have communion in our own time and in our own reflection. I think it's a great time to uh, think about a word for the year. I think that's a, a great exercise. If that comes to you, that's awesome. But just time to just really just rest in the fullness of God's time. And so, as we do that, I'm not going to read through a typical communion um, passage. Um, but I am going to read Galatians again. And uh, when I'm done, I'm, I'm going to pray. I'll sit down and you guys can come grab the emblems. I don't want to hand them out because we've got a lot of germs going around. So, and if we don't have enough, maybe we have to share I don't know, with your spouse or a friend. This comes from Galatians 4. But when the time arrived that, that was set by God the Father, God sent his son, born among us of a woman, born under the conditions of the law so that he might redeem those of us who've been kidnapped by the law. Thus, we have been set free to experience our rightful heritage you can tell for sure that we are now fully adopted as his own children because God sent the spirit of his son into our lives, crying out, Papa, Father. Doesn't that privilege of intimate conversation with God make it plain that you're not a slave, but a child? And if you are a child, you're also an heir with complete access to the inheritance. I love what Paul says a little bit later. He says, Christ has set us to live a free life. So take your stand. Never again let anyone put a harness of slavery on you. Jesus, I thank you so much that you came in the fullness of time. Jesus, I thank you that you still meet us in our time. I thank you that you speak to us in our language. 
in a way that we can understand because you so desperately want us to be drawn to you, to be in communion with you, to be in relationship with you, to find wholeness and rest in you. And so I pray now that uh, wherever we are, however we are on our journeys, whatever time we are on, that uh, you would find us and that we'd reach out to you. And so I thank you for your gift of life. I thank you for your gift on the cross as we celebrate your death and resurrection today with, with communion. We thank you for these things in your name. Amen.